Hello and welcome to the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. This is episode 58 and I am your host Terence M. Stanton. This is being recorded on Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. Happy feast day of the holy name of Jesus. Holy and sacred as our Lord's name, we must always reverence it. I heard an excellent homily today at Mass and the priest was talking about always having reverence for Jesus' sacred name, bowing our heads at his name, and of course never ever violating the second commandment and taking his holy and sacred name in vain. We're going to continue to take a look today at the book The Secret Still Hidden by Christopher A. Ferrara. This is chapter one, a private, in quotes, revelation. In discussing the controversy between Antonio Sochi and Cardinal Bertone concerning the third secret of Fatima, we must first dispense with the banal objection that the message of Fatima is just a private revelation. The faithful can take or leave as they wish. Given the facts and circumstances surrounding the Fatima event, that contention is simply ludicrous. Like the rest of the Fatima message, the third secret was confided by the Blessed Virgin Mary in 1917 to three shepherd children, Lucia dos Santos and her two cousins, Jacinta and Francisco Marto, in a series of apparitions on the 13th of six consecutive months in a field called Cova de Iria near Fatima, Portugal. The apparitions at the Cova culminated with the great secret the Virgin revealed to the children on July 13, 1917. The third secret is the popular name for what is really the third part of the great secret which in turn is popularly referred to as the message of Fatima. Although there is more to the Fatima message than the great secret at its core, by its very terms the message is not private, but rather is addressed to the whole world, even if the Virgin Mary chose to deliver it to three children. Accordingly, Lucia pleaded with the Lady in White to work a miracle so that everybody will believe that you are appearing to us. For the local anti-Catholic authorities and other critics were mocking the apparitions and suggesting that the children were liars and fakes. In fact, at one point Lucia and her cousins were literally kidnapped and carried off to jail by the Freemasonic mayor of nearby Orem, seat of the local judicial district. The children were threatened with torture and death if they did not recant what they had seen and heard in the Kova. All three refused to do so, and the mayor released them after two days of captivity. To silence the critics and persecutors of the children, the lady promised that on the 13th of October, the date of the last apparition at the Kova, I will perform a miracle for all to see and believe. A miracle like no other in history. On October 13, 1917, a crowd of 70,000 people assembled in the rain-drenched Kova to witness the first pre-announced public miracle in the history of the world, and the first miracle heaven had ever deigned to grant an answer to a challenge by the church's enemies, the miracle of the sun. At precisely the moment pre-announced, noon, solar time, the miracle began. Over the next 12 minutes, the sun danced in the sky, threw off a stunning array of colors that transformed the landscape, and then plunged toward the terrified crowd, instantly drying the muddy field and the clothing of the rain-drenched witnesses before the phenomenon ended with the sun returning to its normal place in the sky. The amount of solar energy involved in that feat 
would have incinerated everyone present, but not a soul was harmed. Quite the contrary, at the same moment, numerous miraculous cures and, hardly surprising, instantaneous conversions took place among the witnesses. As the Bishop of Liria Fatima, D. Jose Alves Correa de Silva wrote shortly afterwards, This phenomenon, which was not registered in any astronomical observatory and could not, therefore, have been of natural origin, was witnessed by people of every category and class, by believers as well as unbelievers, journalists of the principal daily papers, and even by people kilometers away, a fact which destroys any theory of collective hallucination. One of those remote witnesses was none other than the poet laureate of Portugal, Alfonso Lopez Vieira, who, having forgotten about the apparitions of Fatima, was dramatically reminded of them by the solar phenomenon he observed from his veranda 25 kilometers distant from the cova. There is no place in this short work to give the voluminous testimonies concerning the miracle of the sun and the acts of the diocesan investigation that led to ecclesiastical approval of devotion to Our Lady of Fatima and her message, and its spread throughout the entire Catholic Church. Suffice it to say that even Hollywood took notice of the miracle by producing a very popular movie entitled The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima that still sells quite well today. What is the great secret of Fatima? What is the great secret the Virgin confided to the three children whose contents continue to cause controversy to this day? As Sister Lucia explained when committing the great secret to paper in her third memoir, written in 1941, the secret is made up of three distinct parts, two of which I am now going to reveal. Stated otherwise, within the great secret there is a first secret, a second secret, and a third secret. In her memoir, Lucia revealed the first and second secrets only. The first secret is a vision of hell. Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire which seemed to be under the earth. Plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form, like transparent burning embers, all blackened and burnished bronze, floating about in the conflagration, now raised into the air by the flames that issued from within themselves together with great clouds of smoke, now falling back on every side like sparks in a huge fire, without weight or equilibrium, and amid shrieks and groans of pain and despair which horrified us and made us tremble with fear. The demons could be distinguished by their terrifying and repulsive likeness to frightful and unknown animals, all black and transparent. The vision lasted but an instant. How can we ever be grateful enough to our kind Heavenly Mother, who had already prepared us by promising in the first apparition to take us to heaven? Otherwise, I think we would have died of fear and terror. But the Lady in White did not simply leave the children in fear and terror. She immediately explained the vision the children had just seen, a fact that will be critical to our inquiry into the third secret, and then provided the second secret. We then looked up at Our Lady, who said to us so kindly and so sadly, You have seen hell where the souls of poor sinners go. To save them, God wishes to establish in the world devotion to my Immaculate Heart. If what I say to you is done, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war is going to end, but if people do not cease offending God, a worse one will break out during the pontificate of Pius XI. When you see a knight illumined by an unknown light, know that this is the great sign given you by God that he is about to punish the world for its crimes, by means of war, famine, and persecutions of the Church and of the Holy Father. 
To prevent this, I shall come to ask for the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she shall be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. The content of the first two parts of the message, conveyed with so few words, is staggering in its scope. Theological richness and implications for the church and the world. Innumerable souls will be lost for eternity. The world will be punished by war, famine, and persecutions of the church and the pope. Yet these calamities can be avoided by establishing in the world devotion to the Immaculate Heart through the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays, among other things, and by consecrating Russia to the same Immaculate Heart. And then, nothing less than a terrible ultimatum from heaven itself. If my requests are heeded, Russia will be converted and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, causing wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred. The Holy Father will have much to suffer. Various nations will be annihilated. Finally, however, a promise of God's mercy. In the end, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. The Holy Father will consecrate Russia to me, and she shall be converted, and a period of peace will be granted to the world. We know, of course, that every one of the calamities the Virgin predicted in the first two parts of the Great Secret, except the ultimate annihilation of nations, did in fact happen. World War I ended, World War II ravaged the globe, Russia spread its errors, including international communism, throughout the world, there were persecutions of the church, the good were martyred, and the Holy Father had much to suffer. The fulfillment of these predictions verifies the authenticity of the message, even more effectively than the miracle of the sun. For the very nature of true prophecy is that it unerringly predicts what comes to pass. A consecration undone? Jacinta and Francisco died soon after the apparitions, also precisely as the Virgin predicted, and long before she returned, as she had promised in 1917, to request from Lucia the First Saturday's devotion, 1925, and the consecration of Russia, 1929. While a detailed discussion of these elements of the Fatima message is beyond the scope of this work, the consecration of Russia must be kept in view. Sochi, representing a substantial constituency in the Church, maintains that Russia's consecration remains undone. Despite the claim that the consecration of Russia was affected by papal ceremonies consecrating the world in 1982 and 1984, from which any mention of Russia was deliberately omitted to avoid offending the Russian Orthodox. Contradicting this claim, John Paul II himself twice stated on March 25th after the 1984 consecration of the world that the Virgin was still awaiting Russia's consecration, but that he had done all he could according to our poor human possibilities and the measure of human weakness. As Sochi notes, precisely this lack of a specific object, Russia, is why Sister Lucia has repeated a thousand times that there has not been a response to the request of the Virgin, both before and after the 1982 and 1984 ceremony, Sister Lucia insisted 
that Our Lady had requested nothing less than the explicit public consecration of Russia by the Pope and the bishops, and that, accordingly, a consecration of the world would not comply with the Virgin's request. Cardinal Bertone's contention that during private, unrecorded interviews, Sister Lucia abruptly changed her testimony on this matter presents an entire controversy unto itself, the details of which cannot be explored here. At any rate, one would think it beyond debate that a consecration of Russia needs to mention Russia. As Dr. David Allen White has put it, attempting to consecrate Russia without mention of Russia is like publishing a recipe for beef stew that never mentions beef. Consequently, if the Fatima message is taken seriously, as it ought to be, the world remains under the Virgin's ultimatum, consecrate Russia or face the annihilation of nations and the eternal loss of countless souls. As should be apparent from the rise of Vladimir Putin as the militaristic neo-Stalinist dictator of Russia, a development even the New York Times has noticed, there is an integral relationship between what Sochi calls the message warning of the third secret and Russia's consecration. I shall return to this point in chapter 12. The church gives her highest approval. Lucia, who became a Carmelite in 1948, would live on until February 13, 2005, when she died in the Carmelite convent at Coimbra, Portugal, at the age of 97. Since those dramatic days in the Cova, the message Lucia was given has been treated as worthy of belief by a series of popes. Pope John Paul II, who attributed his escape from death on May 13, 1981, to the intervention of Our Lady of Fatima, on the very anniversary of the first Fatima apparition, definitively removed the Fatima apparitions from the category of the so-called private revelation by a series of papal acts. The Pope beatified Jacinta and Francisco in May 2000, proclaiming February 20th as their feast day, elevated the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima on May 13th to the altars of every church in the world by ordering its inclusion in the Roman Missal, and declared at Fatima in 1982 that the appeal of Our Lady of Fatima is so deeply rooted in the gospel and the whole of tradition that the church feels herself bound by this message. Moreover, the Fatima prayers, O My Jesus, etc., have been incorporated into the rosary, while the first Saturday's devotion is practiced throughout the entire church. In view of these facts and circumstances, Sochi has best summed up the approach any Catholic should take to the message of Fatima. The Fatima event has received on the part of the Church, which in general is very cautious concerning supernatural phenomenon, a recognition that has no equal in Christian history. It is really impossible, after all this, to continue to speak of a private revelation and of the relative importance of the message. It is not only impossible but completely irrational to dismiss the Fatima message, and the Third Secret in particular, as a private revelation. Any reasonable Catholic, and even a non-Catholic, inclined to believe in supernatural phenomenon, should be prepared to agree that the message of Fatima is in a category by itself. The scope of this work does not permit anything like an examination of the fullness of the Fatima message. What I have just presented must suffice for context, for we must focus on the subject at hand, Sochi's sensational allegation of a Vatican cover-up of the Third Secret. And we will get to that in our next program. Let us conclude by offering up a prayer in honor of Our Lady of Fatima and also a prayer in honor of St. Joseph. 
In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora per nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Prayer of Blessed William Joseph Chaminade O chaste spouse of the most pure and most holy of creatures, how happy you must be for having found such favor and grace before the Eternal Father who gave His Son, before the Son who made you the tutor of His sacred humanity, before the Holy Spirit who entrusted His spouse to you so that you could be like the cherubim who guarded the fruit of life in the Garden of Eden. How happy and blessed are they whom you love and whom you take under your protection. O faithful guardian of the Mother of God, keep those who honor you amid the trials and joys of this life. Lovable tutor of Jesus, help your servants in the dangers and difficulties of their exile. May they feel the effects of your love. Obtain for them devotion to your spouse, fidelity to your son, unfailing respect for the Eternal Father, who reigns with the Holy Spirit through endless ages. Amen. Virgo potens, ora per nobis, Sancte Joseph, Teradimonem, ora per nobis. Thank you so much for listening to episode 58 of the Our Lady of Fatima podcast. It is a pleasure to be your host. My name is Terrence M. Stanton. Goodbye, and God love you.